Happiness day of great anticipation in the alley of freight blood pumping. He is friend. Now, if you don't know what he's referencing, so Netflix, <laughs> Netflix has released what they call the first ever short movie directed, written, performed, and animated by a butt. And I have to say, it may be like the greatest stoner horror comedy of <laughs> it all is time. Awesome. Here's a couple of clips from it. Sorry, your coworker died. It is okay. It is large company. He's no whale. He's an underwater cop. <laughs> you have to watch that whole thing. It's called Mr. Puzzles. It's it's on it's on YouTube, but it's I, I think I watched it like twelve times last night. I watched it five or six times and I cried laughing every time. Yeah. Every time I was like, you think they could do like use this bot to do NFL games, like crappy NFL matchup games? Yeah, instead of like um, Eli and, and Peyton, yeah. you put them and have them do the play by play on ESPN too. I'm there for it. Yeah. I'm there for it. Maybe awesome. they can make an intro for what the truck too. You just like Ooh. upload all three hundred and sixty some odd episodes in there and It'll cut one for us. I love it. That'd be perfect. All right. Well, on the show today, we got a great one coming at you. We're covering a Kickstarter shipping crisis horror story with a happy ending. That's right. Fort founder Connor B. Lewis. He tells us why bootstrapping a company and crowdfunding millions in 2021 created an impossible situation for his magnetic pillow fort company and how they know that they'll survive. We have Captain John A. Conrad the Fifth. He's a CEO over at G Captain. He's got an amazing background, an amazing story. Yeah. They just put out a really hard story about a rape at sea. We're going to hear about that. He yeah. said it's one of yeah. the hardest editorials that he has ever had to put out. A difficult situation. So we'll go through the highs and the lows with him. And pretty soon, we're going to come to Angus Bacala. He's the co-founder and CEO of Ouster. And he's going to tell us who's going to survive in the LiDAR space and how they're thriving, especially with the, a deal they struck recently with Plus and Amazon. So really cool stuff. But before we bring him up, we have to tip the band. Autonomous trucks are coming with a huge potential windfall if you're ready to seize it. Start re-engineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Contact Locomation at Tell em, Dude. Hey, go to locomation.ai for turnkey solutions immediately after this show. Now let's bring Angus up. Angus, thank you for joining us on the show. We both read Alan Adler's great article this morning that mm -hmm. was talking about um, the, the LiDAR space and who's thriving and how it's growing and the consolidation that's going in. So welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. This is uh, going to be fun. So for people who don't know, because this is, this is relatively new tech, how was the elevator pitch on Ouster, just to set the table here? Yeah, so, so Ouster builds digital LiDAR sensors. Um, LiDAR is very similar to radar, sonar, or echolocation. Um, and so in sonar or echolocation, um, you're emitting sound waves, and they're bouncing off of objects, and you're timing how long it takes to get back, those echoes to get back. That's true of LiDAR as well, but it's just laser light that you're shooting off, shooting off in the environment. It bounces off objects and you're timing how long it takes to get back. And with that, you can build a 3D representation of your environment. That's what bats do. That's what submarines do with sonar. And that's what we do with laser light and LiDAR. And so LiDAR is this, it's the eyes of autonomous vehicles and kind of autonomy in general, whether it's a forklift or a robo truck or a consumer car. And, um, and so what Ouster has done is built the first digital ladder sensors, which basically means just putting a ladder sensor onto a silicon chip in the same way that Intel put a CPU onto a silicon chip for the first time in the 60s. 
Wow, that's really cool. And re- so reading through the article and interviewing different people about LiDAR, it's, it's a pretty hot space, right? And there's a lot of technology that's going on there. What is the new stuff that's going on there? You guys are obviously in the forefront there, putting it on a silicon chip, right? Yeah, absolutely. So LiDAR is this crazy, crazy hot space. I never expected it to have, you know, there's a number of public companies that have gone gone public in the last year through SPACs. Ouster is one of them. And then there are tens, upwards of 100 private companies um, uh, all relatively early stage companies that are developing LiDAR technology. And um, uh, I, I would have never guessed this back in 2015 when we founded the company that there would be so many players in the space and it creates a lot of noise. But thankfully, Ouster has kind of emerged as one of the leaders um, because we've gotten to market with great technology. This digital, digital technology is more affordable and more performant and we're pulling on great customers. You know, we have over 600 customers across 50 countries, um, and we've shipped uh, over 6,000 uh, lighter sensors in the last three years. And we're expecting kind of immense growth on the backs of things like robo trucks and then robo taxis and industrial applications across the supply chain of the world. So, um, exciting road ahead for Auster for sure. So the tagline is it's Halloween season. The tagline on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is who will survive and what will be left of them. And now we're seeing some consolidation in this space, right? So who's going to survive in LiDAR and what will be left of them? Yeah, and I, I look at this, I, the, I talk about zombie LiDAR companies um, because I think there are going to be a number of companies that go public in this space and pull on a huge amount of funding but then have basically no revenue and no customers. And that's true of a number of our competitors that have gone public so far. Um, and they're, they're not gonna go under because they just pulled on huge amounts of money, hundreds of millions of dollars, um, but they may not prosper. And so we're gonna have a number of cust- companies that you know, I'm gonna have to address questions on for the next five years, um, and that's just life. And then there are, gonna, there are other companies that maybe aren't flush with, with funds that um, are going to get acquired most likely by the companies that do have funding. Um, And we just announced the acquisition of Sense Photonics, which is really the only other uh, digital LiDAR company, um, private digital LiDAR company in the world. And we just announced that acquisition or uh, definitive agreement to to acquire Sense at the beginning of this week. So um, there's going to be consolidation. And I know that for a fact, because Auster is the very first company to make a major acquisition in LiDAR. If you get a deal done, you you get a cowbell, so... There, there he goes. goes. All right. Congratulations. I'm sorry. I didn't yeah. mean to step no, on your cowbell. Go for it. I had to method. give him a congratulatory cowbell. Congratulations <laughs> uh, and peace and love on that as well. <laughs> okay, going through the uh, going through Alan's article, uh, you, you look at the uh, diversification of what you guys are doing there. Your robo-trucking accounted for uh, vehicle lighter about 30%, and then you had a 70% coming from other businesses, which is a brilliant model, right? Keep that diversification. But will you guys more and more uh, delve into trucking space and become more concentrated in there? Yeah, so we address four key verticals. It's automotive, smart infrastructure, industrials, and robotics. Um, and our automotive vertical encompasses robo-trucking, robo-taxis, shuttles and buses, and consumer ADAS. And we just founded, um, established Ouster Automotive as a dedicated arm of the company based around the Sense Photonics ap- acquisition that's going to more heavily target consumer ADAS, but also robo-trucking. You know, robo-trucking is a really exciting field it's breaking out of R&D and into production finally after years and years of kind of waiting. Um, and we just signed this major agreement with PLUS um, to deliver 1,000 trucks with 2,000 LiDAR sensors um, to Amazon. And this is really one of the first uh, production scale deployments of this technology in the robot trucking space. 
and it's for an end customer like Amazon. So I just love these logistics applications where, um, you know, the customers are really, really sophisticated and they understand what it means to save 2% or 5% or 10% on their all-in costs of that part of the supply chain. So that's what we're doing with Sense, uh, with with Plus. Um, and it's one of many kind of robot trucking deals that we, you know, are currently engaged with or that um, are, you know, prospects for future deployments of our, our technology. Yeah, if you caught last Monday's show, not Monday of this week, Monday of the previous week, Andrew Smith, he's uh, the CEO of Outrider. And as I understand it, you work with them too with their autonomous um, yard dogs that they have. Yeah, that's right. So Andrew's Andrew's awesome. Um, and we are supplying ladder sensors for Andrew's business. And that's what's interesting about, um, you know, logistics is, and the supply chain is that there's a need to automate not just the the public road kind of long haul trucking, but then you you need to automate just getting the container from the doorstep of the yard to the loading dock. And that's what Andrew's business is. And then you need to actually automate the unloading of that container, of that shipping container in the warehouse mm-hmm. and the redistribution of those packages to another, you know, another container. And that's automated forklifts. And we have a, a partnership with Balio, a major automated forklift provider, um, and so on and so forth. And so you can just kind of trace the the um, movement of goods throughout the world from the mine and the agricultural site to the manufacturing facility, to the port, um, you know, to the dockyard, to the warehouse, to the long haul truck, to the last mile delivery to your doorstep. And every single one of those applications needs this, the same kind of level of sophisticated autonomy that has been developed for robotaxis and now is propagated into all these different business models. And they all need LIDAR. And so that's a pretty good place to be um, as, as a digital LIDAR company. Yeah, so uh, Angus, as you go through, as you oh, go ahead. No, uh, go ahead. All right, I was just going to say, you know, there's there's so many different applications for this as you keep going through it, but the actual lighter, you talked about it that it is the light, right? That you're you're sending out there and you're looking at the mark. Can you talk a little bit more about what that actually does? What is it actually bringing back to the vehicle and the sensors? Yeah, so um, I mean, it really so, so the the sensor. It's amazing that this even works. Um, frankly, uh, the the sensor is shooting out millions of beams of light in all directions um, every second, and for each beam of light that it sends out, it is measuring the round trip time for that beam of light to come back, doing a bunch of processing on it, and then what it's outputting is basically a video game like three D view of the environment in all directions around the vehicle, and so it's giving the vehicle perfect three D video game like understanding of the environment. Um, to take all of the guesswork out of where to drive and what where, where's where's free to drive and where are there obstacles that you need to avoid, um, and and that's the the beauty of lidar is that it gives you this pinpoint accuracy on the hard obstacles in the environment to take to allow for safety critical applications to um, be to be automated, um, and that's the difference between kind of cameras and lidar is cameras you have to kind of infer. Well, is that is that a person or is that just like a shadow on the road? LiDAR just tells you directly um, where there's free space, where there are hard objects and um, and allows the robot to say, let's let's not hit any of those hard objects. Let's just keep driving on the smooth road. Angus, thank you so much for taking us inside Alan Adler's news story. For those of you who want to learn more, go to FreightWaves.com. That story is right up on the front page right now. Take care and have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. Hey, now we have the man of the hour. It is Captain yeah. John A. Conrad the Fifth. He's a CEO over at G Captain. This man has lived an amazing life. He uh, just put up a 
a very sort of hard to read article that we'll get into in a little bit after we get into his backstory and everything like that. But hey, I want to applaud you, Captain, for uh, for your service and for all the great work you do with G Captain in educating this market on the maritime space. Thanks for coming on What the Truck. Thanks so much. I mean, I, I grew up around trucks. My dad worked on trucks. So I, I feel like I'm coming home. I mean, they, they were fire trucks, fire trucks in the Bronx. He was a fireman. But, you know, when I think of those early days of my childhood, it was climbing up into the cab of that Mack truck. Well, I mean, what a time it is to be alive, too. I mean, it's awesome that, like, there's, like, it's people who love freight. It's great that there's, like, podcasts now and TV shows where we can communicate about this stuff. And I know that you are extremely passionate about what's going on in freight. And as the prominence of freight media has just increased as it's going mainstream with this shipping crisis, it's been wild times. So I imagine G-Captain G is seeing some of the, the runoff and growth from that as well, right? Right. You know, uh, 15 years ago, we thought no one would be interested in ships. So my brother and I launched a ski website and uh, we immediately raised uh, six million dollars first year and everything was going good. But then the snow melts. So I'm like, hey, I'm a ship captain. Let me start a maritime website. And, uh, you know, I, I see your CEO Craig's uh, tweets about the early days of VCs. Every venture capitalist was like, no one's interested in freight and ships. So we, we bootstrapped the whole thing. But uh, now with all these global crises and the world getting smaller, it's, it's a fascinating. We have so many stories. We, we don't have time to cover every day. That is absolutely true. It is a fascinating time as well. But you have also a fascinating background, Captain. Can you uh, share a little bit of that? For example, some of the numerous teams you've led on some uh, record offshore exploration projects? Right. I was, I was really lucky. I was the... Um, computer geek in, in high school. And, uh, I, I got my private pilot's license and I wanted to fly and I, I found out I wanted to go into the Navy. So I went into Merchant Marine Academy and then I got aboard my first ship as part of the training and I fell in love with ships, but I also had sort of this computer background and technology. So I got invited to, uh, offshore, drilling construction with the Ambani brothers. And no one knew who these guys were. They owned a refinery in India, a small family business. And we went over there with a uh, drill ship, which is an oil rig that's kind of put on an oil tanker. It's a tanker with a big hole in it. And we went over there and uh, we drilled and we, we found the largest a deposit of natural gas uh, in the world. We won a uh, Guinness Book of World Records. And now if you fly into Mumbai, that family owns the largest skyscraper, but it's not their offices. It's their house. That's their mansion. The different parts of the family live on different floors. <laughs> wow. And, uh, How big is the family? <laughs> it's it's not that big. I mean, uh, m most Indian families are are larger, but uh, you know they they all have plenty of space, plenty of space. <laughs> but they do. Well, what, what's life like out on those on those drilling rigs? You know, I've seen like the Marky Mark movie, uh, Deepwater Horizon, and I, I I think you've written a much better book about it uh, last year. But what is life like out uh, at sea? Well, uh, that that book was that movie was based in part on my book. And I'll tell you, I, I talked to Mark Wahlberg and the first thing his agent said is don't refer to him as you just did. Uh, <laughs> Marky Mark. <laughs> hey, I'm from Boston. He's, he's Marky Mark. the very no. first thing when you get on a phone call with him, he says. But, hey, I'm, look, I am from Boston. I, my, my sister used to take me to the new kids on the block house when we were like 10 years old. I stood out front of that dude's house when I was 10 and he was like 16 years old. So he's, he's always going to be Marky Mark to, to, always, to those of us from I hear Boston. You. I hear you.
<laughs> but uh, out, out on the rig is is a uh, first. You know, it's it's all Southerners, uh, uh, predominantly down in the Gulf Coast, and a kid from the Bronx who uh, loves the Yankees. Go Yankees! Um, mm. You know, it's it's a fish out of water. <laughs> fish out of water. <laughs> <laughs> but these these guys are passionate about their work offshore, and it's not just offshore, but on the container ships and tankers. I've worked different ports, the ports. Everyone, you know, you get you get little pockets of passion. People are passionate about uh, logistics and freight and oil and all these interesting things that you wouldn't think are interesting until you meet these guys, right? Yeah, some people are passionate about the Boston Red Sox, well, too. I yeah, mean, I mean, every, well, you know, every, every I'll say one heard, thing about the I've Yankees. For the, only, the Yankees only spent two days of the entire season leading the AL East. So <laughs> I'll just put that out. They also just lost put, that wild card game against us just the other day. So I'll put that out just there. Just put that and out John, there. And, uh, <laughs> John, you know, we're, we're talking about oil here. We're talking about what's in the news. The, the, to look over in Huntington Beach. There's a big oil spill going on out there. Some are saying maybe a ship anchor. All these container ships uh, at anchor, maybe one of them pulled this. Um, what are your thoughts on that oil spill? Do you think it might be related to this container ship uh, congestion out there? Well, unfortunately, everyone focuses on, on trucks because you see trucks. So... Yeah. People see trucks on the highway and they see trains and they know trains, but all the ports are kind of in the, the poor neighborhoods of our country. They're not in New York City anymore. They were moved to Newark. They're mm. not in San Francisco. They were moved to Oakland. So mm. people don't see ships, but 90% of everything comes in on ships. And uh, unfortunately, uh, because no one sees it, no one talks about it with their politicians. And right now we have... so. At the DOT with Pete Budacek, there's a uh, highway commission, there's a train commission, there's the FAA for planes, which is most famous. Then there's a maritime administration. But now we're nine months into the administration and we still don't have a maritime administrator. So there's no, there's no, there's right now we have a port envoy to focus on this congestion problem, but it's not just the ports that are problem. It's all of these ships are coming in and they're they're backing up in Los Angeles, but they're burst open in Oakland because there's no one directing it. There's no oversight. There's no, um, there, there's no will to get yeah. these things done. And then, so everyone, you know, gets tunnel focus on the ports in this case. And someone didn't realize these ships start anchoring really close to the pipeline. And mm. uh, because we do not have, you know, this, we, we don't have a maritime administrator. Can you imagine the FAA without a pilot? And even our last one, it wasn't a, mar a ship guy, a commercial ship guy. They always put a Navy admiral in, in charge who doesn't really know ships, you know. Um, right now, the FAA director is a pilot. Uh, you know, we want a captain in charge of maritime administration, yeah. but there's no political you, will to even appoint someone. John, are you lobbying for that job right now? Because I think we need someone with some know-how to, to to take up uh, to well, take yeah, up some, some passion. And you right? obviously got some passion. Well, for John, it too. Is, is it because is Let's it because start shipping the campaign now? Is it because shipping is kind of a shadow world, and the government doesn't want to focus on it? It's not politically popular with voters. So there, who's there to to pick up the flag? Who's there to? To run with it, maybe now that it's in, like, Christmas, if people can't buy the crap that they want, they might care a little bit more. TP Gate kind of got people a little woke to it, and, and the news cycle has. But 
it's still maybe not the most politically popular thing. Is that part of the reason feeding into this? There are a few reasons. One reason is, like I said, no one sees ships, so they don't really know. We're, we're an island nation. We're in the middle of nowhere. We take everything from you know Europe and Asia. And people don't realize the importance of ships because they don't see them. And then, you know, in the 80s, 90s, you had a number of incidents like the Exxon Valdez, which really, in the public's mind, gave us a bad image. And even though we've cleaned up, it hasn't really, you know, returned to focus. So that's uh, a few of the issues. And another issue is people don't understand the importance. So at the beginning of COVID, they shut down the airports. They shut down the trains. They shut down most of the highways. They shut down everything at COVID, but they never once shut down one of our ports. They kept rolling those ships in because on those ships were masks and there were respirators and all these critical equipment. Um, So one of the reasons that the government doesn't focus on ships is because as as you may or may not know, sometimes when the government focuses on something, they really screw it up, right? So there, there was a period of time where the politicians almost didn't want to regulate ships for fear of, hey, if they mess up, these things will happen. But now the problem is something, everything's getting so integrated and connected that we need that oversight where we didn't before. And now that we need it, we don't have it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, Captain G. Captain, the site has been around for about what fourteen years or so. so yeah. Can you remember what is that? What was the catalyst that made you start this? The catalyst was uh, back then. There was no source of news, so you had uh, Lloyd's List was the longest running print magazine or newspaper in the history of the world. They had been running continuously for hundreds of years. But uh, subscriptions cost over $1,000 a year. So Mm. as a captain, I couldn't read it. Plus, I was on the middle of the ship. So even if I subscribed, I'd have to get to port, wait till port. And then by the time the newspaper got there, it was a week late. So I really, and then you had kind of trade pubs, but they were all press releases, right? There was Mm. no real hard news of what happened in an incident. So I was like, you know, there's got to be a way to provide this news for free. And because of my computer background, this is back in the day where I had to actually fly to Austin and install a server and code it all myself. And now you just press a button. But I wanted to give those guys out at sea uh, quality news that was free, um, which had before us really cost over $1,000 a year, which is a lot for a guy just working on a ship. Well, and you know, you bring up a great point there too. And I don't think if if people are relatively new to the business and they're used to the G captains of the world and the freight waves of the world, they're used to rapid news, rapid fire news. But back in the day, like you said, things would be very outdated when you got them. It was almost like a magazine style yeah. of cadence that news would come out and everything to fill in the blanks between was just press releases. And there just was like, there was no meat there. And there was nothing like this editorial that you just put out. You put out an editorial that you said is the most difficult editorial that you can remember recently publishing. Um, I read the art is very passionate. It's about mm. a rape at sea. I want to shine a little bit of light on here and give a chance to uh, to get this story out there. So can you tell us a little bit about it? Right. Uh, listening last week and, and some of your investigative journalists, you got a fray waves really. And I, I think I tweeted a little bit about it, but that's the the hard part of the business and doing this is, um, you know, what what really gets the page views and gets the interest is the big incident. So I wrote the book on the BP oil rig disaster, but you had the Costa Concordia cruise ship that went aground in Italy. You had the El Faro sink, and you know this this story of a 19 year old uh, 
midshipmen at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. So it's like the Naval Academy, but for the Merchant Marines. Uh, she was raped by a 60-year-old engineer. And um, I, I tell you, I didn't want to write the story down there. I was hoping someone else did. I was hoping Bloomberg or Reuters, which you have po- uh, partnerships with, would. I was hoping the Coast Guard would. But, um, you know, a lot of these stories people people don't know about. Uh, can you imagine if a 19-year-old uh, woman at the West Point was raped by a colonel. It, it would go nuclear on the news. Now, here's mm-hmm. a Federal Service Academy, Merchant Marine Academy, same exact school, just for the Merchant Marine, free education, uniforms, everything else. And it, it hasn't gotten any press, no press at all. So, um, you know, that's that's what we've done a lot recently is give a voice to the mariner. What I love about Freight Waves and your show is, I mean, you got real truckers real that operational experience you know even back when you looked at lloyd's list in these expensive papers that were in the magazines 10 years ago they were really tuned for that executive level but that expertise is on the deck plates these are the guys girls who are in the loading docks in the trains in the trucks in the cabs you know we we want to tell their story too and being out to sea i mean this woman was raped at 19 years old. And, and the thing is, out at sea, you, you can't even, a helicopter can only go out 200 f- miles. There, there's no way off of the ship. She was raped by a senior engineer, and he's got a key for every door. So can you imagine being stuck on a ship at 19? You, no, I, uh, I, I, just, I, it sounds. It, it's you can't like, lock yourself up. There's you nowhere to well go. Be, you may as well be in space. It's like in space, no one can hear you scream, but no one out at sea can hear you scream either. I mean, you're in international waters. There's no telling what can happen if, if the boat comes back without you. You know, what's the what kind of evidence is going to be left by the time it comes to port and the, and the time it's even looked into? I mean, th- these situations oftentimes happen with very little recourse, right? And I think the onus is is on us that have a, a voice and a platform to get these messages out there yeah. and, and let people know that these things occur at sea because I don't think a lot of people do. Like you mentioned that operational experience and that, that executive level. Now, I'm not going to name sites, but there are certain sites that all they ever talk to is like the port director and the CEO of the company, and, and which are great. And you need their perspectives. But as op- people came from operations, yeah. Vince and myself, we know very well that the story that you hear from the people actually doing the work is often very different oh, from the one different. that you hear that are there to give you a paid message. And I don't think it's uh, talking about journalistic responsibility. I don't think it's necessarily our job to to amplify without any counterpoint the messaging of of corporate uh, America. You guys, I, you guys are. I mean, hit the hit the nail on the head with that. Absolutely. Yeah, and it seems like. Do you think that the lack of willingness to cover that to cover that was from the fact that the 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 solution to such a situation is really really hard to come up with? I mean, what is the solution to that? She's now uh, isolated on this ship with no recourse for how God knows how long, right? So how do you solve that? Is that why they kind of look the other way? I mean, why? It seems like they just sweep it under the rug, right? I don't know. There, there have been a lot of explanations. This happened on a Maersk ship, and Maersk is the biggest and most powerful shipping company in the world. Everyone knows the, the Maersk, so people think. But I've talked to the CEO of Maersk, and he's very wants to solve this sure. problem. And then, you know, the Merchant Marine Academy, Pete Budacek, uh, I had a call with his office, and he's very angry and getting on this. But, you know, it's coordinating all these pieces of the freight. And that's what a lot of these corporate news, and we talk about the poor congestion and, and these these problems, 
but as an operational level, you know, everyone, all these talking heads come up with this is why the problem is. But at the end of the day, it's humans on the line. And a big part of the shipping problem and why the ships are so delayed is because the crews have not been able to get off because of COVID. And a lot of the crews are now worried about this story. So when you have a big story like this, even though it's emotional, even though it's one woman who's mm. been raped, it, 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 it has effects on the whole supply chain. Sure. And that causes boxes to be delayed. See, uh, see I think CNBC just had a story of, of following the care bear and they picked the care bear from the, the warehouse to the end thing. And they, because it's emotional, people can relate to that childhood toy, but also in that line are truckers who are tired and fed up and they're maybe their buddy because they're working so many hours, just got in a bad accident is in the hospital. And that's, it's that emotional thing that cascades through the logistics chain, not just, you know, what one port executive, the, the changes he made and, and people don't, people don't realize that emotional story and these stories of the people there that from an operational level is what's causing the operational guys to change. And that's having an effect on what boxes get delivered just as much as what, uh, Gene Scota says at the port of Los Angeles. Yeah. Hey, uh, John, I mean, thank captain so much. Thank you so much for, for your service, what you're doing with G captain for getting this message out there and for giving us some of your time today on the show. We, we really appreciate it. Don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you back on soon. Anytime. This is great guys. Thank you so much. And thank you for what you guys are doing. Thanks. And check out his story on gcaptain.com. Yeah, it's a heck of a story. Okay, now we got to tip the band again, and then we're going to talk about a Kickstarter story during the shipping crisis. We'll find out all about what's up with Fort. But first here, with more than 1,500 maintenance bays offering light mechanical services and DOT inspections, Love Truck Care and Speedco are investing in getting your drivers back on the road quickly and safely. Learn more at Tell Them, Dude. Hey, go to loves.com after the show. Hey, hate your CPAP? I do. Yeah, me too. Headgear and claustrophobia are the number one reason CPAP users are not compliant, putting your CDL and your job at risk. If you haven't tried Dreamport by bleep, you need to. Dreamport is the only clinically proven leak-free solution, the only product made in the USA. Hey, shipping crisis already here. You won't have yeah, to wait. That's right. Only headgear-free solution. No headgear, nothing in the nose. Look great and sleep comfortably. Covered by all insurance, it fits all machines. Better bleep and sleep to help you keep your CDL. Tell them where to find it. And hey, go to visit bleepsleep.com to find out why Dreamport is ranked number one. Okay, let's take a look at what the magnetic fort is. Let's roll this, uh, let's roll this clip. Hi, I'm Connor, the founder of Fort. You may ask Connor, what are you doing? Aren't you supposed to be selling people on the Fort Kickstarter? Well, actually, I am. You see, I'm sitting quietly drinking a cup of coffee while my kids play with their fort because the fort is so fun and so engaging and creates so many opportunities for open-ended play that I can just sit here quietly with all the pillows and all the couch cushions still on the couch. In fact, I even have a nice throw blanket that they haven't taken from me just in case there's a breeze. Do you hear that? The sound of me being left alone. What a wonderful world we live in. Magnetic pillow fort. Who would have thought? But don't take my word for it. Here are what some real parents have said about the fort. All have played independently for the majority of the time that we had the pieces at our house. So that was an outstanding experience. 
It really gets their wiggles out when they're feeling cooped up inside. My daughter's been playing with it all day on her own, so she has a little more fun. It was a lot of fun. They've been playing with it nonstop since she brought it, so I actually curled my hair and <laughs> let them go play on their own. They awesome. can carry all the pieces around and do whatever they want with it. Pretty good, right? Magnets mean that your builds won't fall down easily. We save your couch cushions from being destroyed and the fort is even completely wipeable. In fact, the fort is so durable that we put it to the test with ketchup and dogs. And guess what? Totally fine. And we've gone to great lengths to make sure those magnets stay in there so that your kids don't get a hold of them. Now we do see parents who are concerned about magnet safety a lot. So if you just don't feel comfortable or you have someone in your house with a medical implant, we've got you. We're offering a non-magnetic fort for those of you who are interested. The search for the perfect toy to entertain your kids is over. So get yourself a fort. Or four. I mean, who doesn't want to build a fort? Wow. All right, let's let's get to the I man here. Let's get that's you, Connor. I recognize you from that from that there video. Is. How you doing today? Really good. He's a that's a really good looking guy in that video. There it is. Yeah. I, it's hard to, I didn't recognize you're like Clark Kent and Superman. You take the glasses off and it's a it's a whole different man right now. You know, yeah, the, the, absolutely. That, that's my that's my dad disguise. I have glasses on. You know, yeah. one of the dad look. Now, Connor, the, the you got on my radar because you put this excellent thread on Twitter, and I read tons of Twitter threads. I'm on there all the time, and it said, "Why bootstrapping a company and crowdfunding millions in 2021 created an impossible situation." and how I know I'll survive. We're gonna get into that, but before we do, where did you get the idea for the fort? What was like the genesis of all this? Yeah, so it was really straightforward. I mean, basically I was watching my daughter and wife uh, play in their living room with, uh, play in our living room with just couch cushions and uh, constantly, of course, falling down and making a mess. And I thought to myself, I'm like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. You know, I think I can make something better than this. And uh, I kind of saw a trend in uh, modular kids' furniture. And so I came up with this idea, you know, magnets hold it together. Let's see what we can do. It's awesome. So when does the adult version come out, man? I want one of these. <laughs> yeah, so the uh, the adult version would probably be a little bit more adult than we than our kids' company can uh, <laughs> put out, if you, you know go. what I'm saying. Yes, sir. So you are a first-time first founder, right? And I think this is the first time you've made uh, modular furniture or kids' furniture or maybe perhaps anything like this. How did you know how to, how to source it and, and test the product and, and get it all together just to even start uh, getting this Kickstarter off the ground? Yeah, so I think my biggest advantage in that is just I'm one of those insatiable learners uh, and a constant Googler of things. I think if you aren't like that and you're trying to start an e-commerce or online company these days, it's going to be impossible. Um, to be honest, the sourcing process for new entrepreneurs is incredibly difficult. The, the learning curve is is massive, right? Um, you can just go on Alibaba all day and, and dig around, but you're not really going to, there's no easy way to learn how to build a product. Um, and so I really had to figure out out the hard way by talking to a lot of suppliers, by digging up as many podcasts and information as I can. And it, it still kind of seems like it's a trade secret, how to find a really good supplier, how to build a really good product. So it's been honestly incredibly difficult. It took me months and months to find the best suppliers and 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 even uh, honestly using the Kickstarter success to to get introduced to bigger and bigger suppliers who could really um, you know take it to the next level. 
Yeah, so Connor, let's talk about the thread that you went through there on Kickstarter, right? $3.1 million raised, 9,800 backers, $61,000 spent in Facebook ads. That's really good. 11,743 units sold. That's incredible Kick conversion it, on your on your that's incredible conversion on your ad spend. Too. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we really uh we really leaned into what uh, how to make a Kickstarter successful in the beginning, which is it's all about having people lined up to buy. So you have those people lined up to buy. And I've talked about this a lot, but you've got to build this email list before the Kickstarter starts. Because uh, honestly, nowadays, Kickstarter doesn't have the pull that it used to. You're not just going to post something and it's going to go crazy viral. So we did a ton of work, ton of groundwork to kind of like get that momentum. And, and that's why our ad spend is great. And we had like a huge blow up out of the gate. Let's talk about that Kickstarter because in bringing in a great audience is is great. But with Kickstarter, you have backers and, and backers, you know, they feel like they have a little bit of stake in the company. They feel sure. like um, maybe a little bit closer to the, to the product in the company than your general consumer just just going to the website. But they also expect some deliverables. And you happen to launch this during the middle of the worst shipping crisis in human history. So, so how is that yeah, aligned? It's, it's like uh, hilarious, right? Um, you know, first time founder, like no idea about international shipping what's a b bill of lading you know yeah, like right yeah uh-huh. I, I, you know they don't teach you this in college and i went to art school so they really don't teach you anything um but uh it it was i mean i can't even describe how difficult it is to manage something like this right if i would have sold let's say 200 products right not 12000 I, I could have covered any loss myself you know i could have taken a loan, a small loan, I could have, it would have been one container of product, you know, I could have figured that out, right? We're talking about 40 containers of product, tens of, you know, over 10,000 products, you know, millions of dollars of inventory, mm. and, you know, almost a million dollars, right, to just import these containers, right? You're talking about 20, $25,000 a container, right? And, and, you know, I don't know any better. So when I'm starting this, I'm learning like, oh, you know, I think the costs are going to be around this. You know, it looks like the containers are kind of, you know, costing around this much. So it's probably going to be like, you know, maybe on the high end, like $20 a unit, right? It's COVID and everything continues to happen and continues to build. And we continue to like refine the product and put it through all of its paces and, and, and run it through the massive supply, you know, the manufacturing process. We get to the end point, right, where we've got these products manufactured, the containers are getting packed, we're booking uh, transit. You know, and I'm staring at, uh, you know, $60, $70 a unit, right? These aren't small. You know, they're big boxes. They're big pieces of foam that get compressed, you know, kind of like a mattress. And uh, I'm just flabbergasted. You know, what what can I do? You know, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's completely overwhelming. It really is. And that's one of those things, you know, the pandemic is one of those things that just occurred, right? Yeah. There's no way to plan for that. But you have to consider a lot of cost factors like the price of magnets, for, 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 for instance, increasing. What are some of the other price factors or cost factors that you had to consider? Yeah, I mean, magnets are huge. So the magnets, um, because it's like a, a mineral adjacent, so the market fluctuates a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So magnet prices uh, at one point had doubled. Uh, we, we caught a downward trend. You can actually look at what they're called neodymium or rare earth magnets. You can actually track the market. Um, and you know, we caught it just at the right point to get the right kind of magnet, the right quality and strength. Um, foam has also been basically on allocation, um, both overseas and in the U S we do have a, a foam supplier in the U S cause obviously, 
you know, there's this cost benefit thing that we've had to weigh, like, do we do all of our foam in the U S cause it's obviously you're shipping air, right. You know, it's the worst thing to ship yeah. uh, is foam. Um, and so we, we spent a lot of time working on like, do we need to do this a uh, hybrid model? And, and we ended up building out more than one supply chain to kind of figure this out. Um, but those price drivers were, uh, really challenging, uh, so much so that COVID, uh, bumped our cost of goods about 30 to 40% higher than we initially thought we were, we were building the product. Right. So we had a major pricing challenge out of the gate. Well, how about this too? I mean, with all of the delays going on in the supply chain at, at every corner, port overseas, port here, uh, with the drayage, with picking the containers up, getting them to the DCs, all of that kind of stuff. Not only are you talking about these escalating cost conditions, but your your backers on Kickstarter are expecting these things delivered within a certain amount of time. And when you got to go, you know what, due to the shipping crisis, is three months stretched out, and you are just a Kickstarter company at that point. That, you know, people are like, well, hey, what's going on? Is this gonna is this gonna ever happen? How have you managed some of those? expectations and also how have you managed like your own expectations and I, your thread kind of talked a little bit about this of not feeling like you're letting mm-hmm. everyone down oh man uh it's so hard i i swing i absolutely swing between so proud of myself that i went from absolute zero you know um losing my job selling my truck to to fund this company and making tens of thousands you know over ten thousand of these importing them to the u.s building all the connections and relationships uh, selling millions of dollars of this to, and being so proud that I pulled that off within like six to eight months and like the absolute like like frustration and total disheartening thing of like customers are really disappointed. You know, it's not shipping when they wanted it to. It's been a longer process than they expected. The, the product has changed, right? Because we had to change it in ways to make it more economical, not only um, from like a manufacturing standpoint, from a logistical standpoint. I mean, all of that goes into play, you know, the, the you know, I, when I was building this initially, the, I wasn't thinking about the packaging, the first thing, like, how do I fit it all into a container? What's the, what's the product size, you know, when it's compressed. Mm-hmm. And, um, that has been really hard. I mean, that's what that Twitter thread was about the impossible situation. I basically was staring at, you know, uh, something like a $2 million debt to suppliers, to freight companies. And, you know, this isn't a venture capital backed company. This is a, <laughs> A small. I'm, I live in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm just a, a guy, and I'm running this thing fully bootstrapped, you know, with Kickstarter money, and realizing like I either have to raise a bunch of money, which this is not going to be a venture scaled company, or I have to go back to where I came from, the backers, and say I need your help shipping this. It, it's not that I'm withholding this because I, I've got some reserve of cash. It's not even that I misspent your money. It's truly like the cost to make this and send it to you is 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 now $100 higher, 100 to $150 higher than I thought it would be. And I messed up on the fact that I mispriced it the first day and I got to figure out how to make this work. And, you know, for me, I'm on the hook, right? You know, the backers may be angry, but you know who's more angry are suppliers, freight companies sure. that want to get paid, right? Oh, you guys sure. well, know that every you know so many businesses the fir- first time starting a uh, you know a shipper a retailer shipper business i think they all make this mistake they don't realize the value of supply chain and packaging and all those things and how those mm-hmm. how those factor in and how to optimize routing and, and how much inventory and it's, it's all very confusing at first and the hard part is that like i've worked in brokerages and you mentioned 40 containers that's decent but the brokerages are really like the the, the marquee accounts are, unfortunately even though it's a multi-million dollar operation to you 
to them, it's really not that much freight. So you don't get the same <laughs> service and consideration as everyone else. And I'm sure you're experiencing that. And a lot of times these first-time retailers yeah. are able to get away with it because they're not in the worst shipping crisis in human history. <laughs> where, Connor, you yes. you happen to be. Uh, is it, What's positive, though? Is, is the outlook positive? Are you starting to get um, control of things? Are you starting to get the backers to understand? Yeah, so uh, we have had over 35% of our customer, our current backers, literally spend an extra $100 with us to help us make this through it, which if you do the math, you know, it's really simple. It's, it's a lot of money, right? Um, and that's huge. That was, that was amazing. And, and, and we also had, you know, 5% of backers who are incredibly angry, right? You know, you're holding this product hostage. Why can't you just deliver it to me? This has taken so long. I'm so frustrated. Um, and that's really hard. You know, we've, we've, I've got, it's gotten to the point where, um, some of my customers and probably not even my customers have like put out my personal information online and encouraging harassment and, you know, (laughs) saying some really, really, you know, stuff that like you hear about like celebrities, like where they're getting death threats and things. It's like, I'm just, I'm making a toy and I'm really trying and, and it's, and it's totally blown out of proportion in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, I mean, that's been incredibly difficult, but we have, um, I basically had to go to my suppliers and be like, listen, like I'm in this position, here's what's going on. I want to be super upfront. You know, if I, if I run out of cash, you're going to be more bummed than I am. Cause I kind of get to walk away at some point. You're just going to have, you're going to still own this product that I haven't shipped. And so we, we, I was able to actually work out a deal. This actually panned out in my favor and it will in the long run, you know, but yeah, like overcoming the debt from a shipping crisis and like figuring out how to deal with that. And also like continuing to like to build out the supply chain, like, you know, the, from the port to the 3PL, from the 3PL to the customer's door, what is, what is uh, working with like FedEx look like? That's been all incredibly difficult. And, and we've really had to learn to deal with that kind of about 5% of customers who are really, really unhappy. So if I were to order, if I go to the, the Fort Pillow site right now and I was to order one of these, what, what's sort of the lead time? What should I expect? Yeah, so right now, um, so what we've done is the customers who paid the extra money, we offered it an, as an optional charge for the Kickstarter backers. We basically are going to ship those immediately. And we're taking some of the excess inventory from people who were like, send me my Kickstarter for it whenever. Uh, we're actually going to, we're actually actively selling those on our website. So the, what is in stock on the website will ship within like one to two weeks. Um, so basically what we're doing is like a, a, like a crazy, like logistics cash shuffle. So we're taking, uh, we're, we're just focused on like, what is a profitable unit right now? And if you're willing to pay a little extra to make that unit, like at least break even, we will ship that to you immediately. And if you're willing to pay retail price on the website, we will ship that to you immediately. So we can, you know, pay off these freight bills that come, you know, once or twice a week, right? And and continue to pay off our suppliers. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Connor, look, I'm proud of you. I think yeah, that man. you, I, I, I love Thanks, what man. you're doing here. Um, I think you're doing an, an amazing job. And I think that you're fighting a really tough challenge and, you know, you're persevering and you're working through it and you're not hiding from it either. You're coming on shows like this and, and explaining what has happened and the position. What website should people go to if they want to support you and get one of these pillow forts? Yeah, absolutely. Please check us out. Please check out my story. Uh, Getthefort.com. There's a lot of buzz online and at getthefort on Instagram. So please, yeah, look it up and at least uh, see what's going on. Connor, thank you so much, man. Have a great weekend and best of luck getting through this. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Wow. Crazy story. I mean, and it's it's so indicative of of this market. And 
You know, G Captain, uh, Captain Conrad, he said something earlier, yeah. and he was like, yeah, you know, a lot of the trade papers, they just talk at an executive level, right? Right. And they talk about, uh, you know, even in the mainstream press, they're talking about, like, the Coca-Cola's. They only talk to the big companies. But the real story here, those companies can absorb it. Nothing's happening to yeah, Coca-Cola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're putting deal. stuff on bulk ships. Nothing's happening to Nike. Who cares if they miss their earnings? Um, unless you're, you're, like, a stockholder. <laughs> but, in, like, th these are, to me, these are the real stories, because th this is th also, like, Molson from Via Heart. These are the people who are getting crushed, and who may or may not survive and only make things like the Amazon of the world bigger. These that, are the people we need to support. That's right. And these are the guys that drive the economy. Of course. And these are the innovators. These are the future. This yeah. was, these are, but it sounds like it, through all the difficulties that he went through, he'd probably do it again. Yeah, it sounds like he is, especially now that he's learned all that experience. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, that's how you learn. You, you have yeah. to do it by, by doing. So let's yeah. get to a little good news, bad news. Let's do it. They're okay. Yeah. All right. My buddy Nathan Strang, he, good news, my buddy Nathan Strang, he went out on the waters of San Pedro Bay to check out the congestion. Let's that take is a look. Good news. Yeah. So you're seeing a big ship over there. Let's just There's cycle one. through these things. There's Let's another just rapid one. fire these things. Oh, got them all through there. He's got a lot of the boats out here. I think he's even, there's a one ship. Boats all over the place. You yeah. like boats? That's where you go right now. But can we see the <laughs> video too? We got a video of him out on the harbor. There we go. Look at this. Look at that. I think there's 62 of those. There's 62 at count as of yesterday. And as we talked about with Captain Conrad, um, it's now looking like a container ship may have caused this with their anchorage. It dragged a, it, it dragged a pipe about 200 feet. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't yeah, it? It makes it perfect sense that that would happen. Well, the bad news is that you saw that. And the other one is the, the fight that's going on. And what makes me not hopeful about this clearing up anytime soon. Take a picture. Let's, let's show that Port X picture of all that congestion right now. There you go. So th that, those right there are the dray operators. Those are the people yeah. who are taking care of the port. And, yeah. you know, we, full disclosure, we had Gene Soroka on from Port of LA. We and did. he gave his messaging from the port. And I got to tell you, a lot of dray operators reached out to me, and they didn't really take kindly to it. They didn't like the suggestion that 30% of missed appointments that were putting that on them. Because they're saying much of that, they can't get to their appointment. They're stuck in line. They can't get through there. In fact, Brian Kempsey said, definite truth. If you can't get into the gate or cannot find a chassis, the appointment is missed. Um, Geo Mars, who's coming on the show, I believe it's next week, he was talking about uh, how he had to wait in line for so long, he finally got up there at the last minute. They said to him, driver, you do not have an appointment. You have to go away. He lost $500 that day that he yeah. normally would have made. Um, his suggestion was just keep it flowing. He doesn't like that they shut down for an hour every day to do a shift change and lunch. And he doesn't like that the messaging is that it's 24-7 when drivers still can't pull in there at 4 or 5 a.m. So how is it really... 24-7. We had some other comments, too. And, you know, in the interest of fairness, I think we need to hear them. Ivan Hernandez said, sure. Um, he met up with the Dreyer, and he said the time it took him was 18 hours during the congestion. Um, he's going there next week. He's going to keep us updated. Nice. He's going to send us videos, Good. reports from the ground. Patrick Smith, he says he's, he's uh, director of global logistics at Elo Touch Solutions. He said major disconnect in PR, news stories, videos versus the on-the-ground reality and what they're all seeing there. And, and Susan Bradley, she said, on the East Coast, former CEO of the Port of Virginia, um, he came and he toured the port and he stayed with the Dre, the Dre drivers. He went on the ground, he saw what the challenges were, and they cleaned and fixed that port up. And that is what she suggests that the Port of L.A. does. And uh, Captain Conrad also said that. Maybe we need that envoy. Yeah, absolutely. The sides need to sit back and talk with each other, quit pointing fingers, right, and get this thing done. Because obviously, you can't, you're going to miss part of it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. And the bad news is they're just 
pointing fingers. Here's some good news, though. The Port, yep. uh, Port of Houston tweeted, e-commerce cargo is booming and moving through Port Houston. You can see it right here. The Star uh, Ligra general cargo ship uh, arrived to our turning basin terminal with some unusually happy TEUs. And you can see them there, the Am Amazon TEUs that are there, they right? Plenty of so you got all this new business coming into the Port of Houston. There's difficult parts of it. It's not uh, LA level bad, but even close with you know, the, there's congestion issues. You yeah. can look at it. You can see it right here on this yeah, on this, this map. map. Right here. You can see the stuff sitting there, right there, in, in the container ships and the and the uh, uh, the other cargo ships that are going in there. And if we go into here and look in, in the, the a sonar, sonar thing, let's throw up the sonar chart here. You can see that the shipments into are 24.4 percent up over last year, which was even big, right? Yeah. You can see this influx and the TEOs on the bottom there. This wide gap up seven. 7.7%. This is stuff that they're not completely used to. And if you move to the next one here, I'll show you what I'm talking about. Houston is a port and in, in a, in a market that is regional in its in its uh, in its shipping, right? And this is all going long haul. Lots of rejections, lots of tightness in the uh, in the truckload market there. The one good thing is it is moving along at a much faster clip than LA. A lot less rejections over there going out. More freight being picked up by drivers. So yeah, um, a decent alternative. But yeah, it is. Uh, it is picking up. Okay, bad news. Check a look at this picture right here. Back in September, we talked about this. The Nationals let fans know that their Ryan Zimmerman bobblehead wouldn't be available for Ryan Zimmerman bobblehead day. How can yeah. that be? Due to the shipping crisis, they put this messaging out there. First Major League Baseball team to do that. Well, here's the good news. Flash on me. Give me a close-up here. It's <laughs> arrived. Look at this. I'm going to unbox my, uh, for all you guys here, let's unbox this Ryan Zimmerman shipping crisis bobblehead. We're saved. Let's get that box down. He's right here. Oh, look at that. Check him out, man. Look at that. Does the bobblehead still work? Boom. Undamaged. Look Boom. at that. Shipping crisis bobblehead. So that's the good news. It's arrived. That is great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that is great stuff. Here's some bad news. A Chattanooga man tried to request the names, addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, and grade level of the parents of every student and, and the students of every kid in Hamilton County School District, yeah. Dooner. You brought this attention to me last night. Crazy stuff. The good news here is that the, they uh, may not have realized that his request not only went public as well, right? His request went public yeah. as well, right? So he what he did was he alerted 45,000 now very angry parents uh, who then went on the warpath. They yeah. flooded his his Facebook and and emails and all this other kind of stuff because they had his information. Well, Brandon, there. And Brandon Jennings, Jennings has so, now rescinded his uh, request. Well, of course. So what happened is yes, all day yesterday we were getting these emails from the school board and they were yeah. saying that someone asked for, a private individual asked for everybody's records and they emailed this to everybody, but his request was, was public too. So they also included his name, his email, and his phone number. And you know, you're talking about 45,000 yeah. people. You're talking about cops, lawyers, Karens, everybody, right? And I think that what happened here is this guy found out a uh, an old adage, which is F around, find out. That's what you found out, buddy. Stay away <laughs> from the kids, especially here in Chattanooga, because we're going to defend them. By the way, thank you to Sean Jones from Quick Loads who gave us this Lego set right here. This is a pretty cool looking thing. We'll be back on, on Monday at noon Eastern time. You can find the show wherever you get podcasts. Look up What the Truck. You want every Freightwave show all on one feed. Look up Freightcast. The vote trail, load of Freight. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. You can find him at Vincent the Dude. We're also both on LinkedIn. Tell him how to be this hey, weekend. Peace and love. Spread it everywhere, everyone.